This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> Hello and a very warm welcome to the latest edition of Total Saints Podcast. This is our weekly get-together to discuss the last seven days supporting Southampton Football Club. As always, we're live streaming our podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch and YouTube. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you subscribe to the channel to be the first to see our latest videos. As always, a massive thank you to our TSP patrons who support all of our work. You can visit patreon.com forward slash Total Saints Podcast to find out more about getting involved. Coming up this week on the pod, two big games and two inevitable defeats this week. We'll pick over the bones of Bournemouth and Newcastle. And next up, it's Nottingham Forest away on Monday evening. We will preview that trip. My name is Martin Stark, and I'm joined this week by Steve Grant, who is the owner of Saints Web, and Glenda LaCour is the writer of the blog League One Minus Ten. Underpinned by our TSP patrons, this is episode 231 of the Total Saints podcast. Your home for everything Southampton FC. From dedicated Saints insight to exclusive interviews. Live on YouTube every Sunday and available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is the Total Saints podcast. Now, in a week where we were hoping for six points, we didn't even manage six shots on target. So let's start with the Bournemouth debacle, shall we? A 1-0 defeat at St Mary's, arguably the biggest game of the year. And of course, it was a record-breaking 11th home defeat of the season. Glenn, I checked back through the WhatsApp. It was the 3rd of April when you predicted a limp 1-0 defeat. Uh, Did you think it would actually be as dreadful as it was on Thursday? You never want it to be as dreadful as you suspect it's going to be but the the way I thought about it was that it's it's the most logical result to predict you know if you had you had every possible result you know on a list at the bookies one nil to Bournemouth would be the favorite and so it proved um I mean he picked a he picked a strange old team he basically picked the same team more or less that we had at Arsenal apart from changing the goalkeeper I think and there was one other change when the Chiletta Zar came in for 
Bella Kochap. Mm. So Bournemouth at home, Arsenal away, and he's picked the same team for both. Different assignments completely, but there you go. That's um, that's the sort of thing he does. McCarthy and goal was the the sort of headline selection, wasn't it? Um, he was the winner of the lineup tombola that we spoke. Yeah, about I guess so. Week, Which guess name so. are we going to pick out of the hat for a start? I kind of reached the stage where I thought there's no point in changing the goalkeeper. It should have been done ten games ago, but he did it for that game. For the first 15 minutes, I thought we looked okay. We had a bit of intent about us. We had a couple of sort of half chances, one for Walcott and one for Adam Armstrong near post, which was kind of a couple of bobbles that came back to him. But we had a couple of shots, looked okay. Bournemouth didn't offer much. But on about 15 minutes, they they took over. They started getting Solanke into the game and we made him look like a world beater by basically not closing him down, giving him space to run into. The last half an hour of the first half was absolutely shocking. Didn't do anything. Bournemouth had a couple of chances, one narrowly over the bar. And then at, then at halftime, we had that rare thing where um, James Walprouse comes off. And the, the second half was the, you know, the, there's been a lot, but I thought the second half was the biggest shambles of Ruben Seller's time so far. Going to three at the back with Elianusi and Walker-Peters on the wrong side as wing-backs. So you're not going to get any benefit from from there, really. Um, certainly in, a, in an attacking sense. I mean, that's a, that's a big claim because it's a low bar, isn't it? It, it is. In, in terms of, of, of like how dreadful he's been as a manager. No one, no one seemed to know where they were supposed to be. There was one stage in the second half where it looked like Romeo Lavia was the only player in midfield. Armstrong was wide right, Maitland-Niles was wide right, Alcaraz was up front and Lavia was in midfield on his own. And we kind of got away with that a little bit because Bournemouth had retreated and, you know, we were building up ahead of steam for the last 10 minutes when it was already too late. But the shambles started at the start of the second half. Clearly hadn't practiced three at the back. No one knew where they were. A matter of time before Bournemouth scored and they did. It's a bit of a bobbler. Um you know, it's just one of those things that goes against you when, you, when you're down the bottom. He didn't hit it properly, but it still found its way in. You know, he made a couple of substitutions with um, Stuart Armstrong and Che Adams coming on. You know, low bar, but they raised it a little bit. Stuart Armstrong probably put in more effort in those 15 minutes than he has done all season, put together. Set up the goal, um, which then got disallowed, which kind of kind of says it all. I mean, but would it have made? did it make any difference at the end of the day? Okay, we might have had five minutes where... You know, there might have been a little bit of hope of um, nicking a totally undeserved win. And I suppose if it had ended in a draw, it would have made Bournemouth sweat a little bit more. But they won today, so it wouldn't have made a difference anyway. So uh, so that goal being disallowed really didn't make any difference. And um, when we had 10 games to go, we looked at the games against the other teams down the bottom. So it was West Ham at the time, Crystal Palace and Bournemouth and thought we need sort of seven or nine points from from those three games and we got zero with with zero goals and we're still playing with no striker from the start of games and and the guy's an idiot as far as I'm concerned he's he's um he can go you know he's been he's, he's been given the job to keep us up and he's I know he's not technically failed yet but we all know he has it would be amazing if we don't finish flat last and we're not going to get anywhere, you know, will we get 30 points? I doubt it. So I think that will be our worst ever season in the um, in the Premier League, in the, in the top league. So um, certainly since it went to um, three points for a win. So, yeah, it's it's not been great and it's not solely his fault, obviously. there's a, I'm sure we'll do a podcast on um, 
there's a whole episode to be done, isn't there, on, yeah. on the blame and, and, and who's at fault and, and when the decline started. Yeah, and then he and then he compounded it after the game by talking an absolute drivel in the in the press conference again, trying to justify the decisions you know that he makes. Um, I mean, the the one I liked is um, Adam Armstrong played because he looked good in training. Well, he would do against our defence. Yeah, but but to me, that's the sort of thing that you say when you when you promote an eighteen year old for his first game. You know, an experienced player. If he's had seventy rubbish games on the pitch, just because he has a good training session, you don't suddenly think he's going to buck the trend on the pitch. It's it's just it's just madness. And if you're if you're bottom of the league, not scoring any goals, and and losing every week, you'd better be able to explain your decisions when when they when they don't work. Are you as fed up of hearing from him as I am? You know, there was a time yeah. when you looked forward to that Thursday press conference because you find out. Um, you know who might be starting. There might be a couple of injuries, or there might be some some tactics. And you, you you'd listen to it, and you'd be really up for the game at the weekend. But the guy just annoys me, uh, and I and I've, I've started avoiding the press conferences. Now. Yeah, I don't, okay. don't want to read what he's got to say because it's just nonsense. I prefer to read the bullet points than to listen to it. To be honest, that's where I've got to. It's reached sort of Claude Puel going back further, Yam <laughs> Yam Portfleet levels of utter garbage. I mean, it's it's a different kind of drivel to Nathan Jones because Nathan Jones's drivel was all about himself but dri- dri- drivel is still drivel at the end of the day and you know it's um I mean we, you know we laugh at it because we've all got gallows humor about the whole thing now mm. but it, it isn't funny we you know we're supposed to be this is going to be funny when I say this we're supposed to be an elite level football team yeah you yeah. know playing in the top league yeah in the world allegedly and we've got this guy hasn't got a clue talking drivel I mean we, we've given him we've given him the job he's never managed as far as I know he's never managed a men's team before he's managed age group teams and he's been a coach yeah uh, and it's like it's like signing a load of young players it's um you know it might be brilliant but the chances are it's not going to be it's going to be an exceptional circumstance to make it brilliant and he's been he's been pretty dreadful and um I I can't wait for him to leave, and it would be it would be horrifying to think that he's um, he's not going to leave because he's done absolutely nothing. Was it nine games without a win now? You know, and uh, there are so many things that just don't make any sense. Yeah, we'll be seeing that corner flag soon. Um, if you're watching the stream, Jacob Tanswell from the Athletic has joined us, um, showing some dedication that I wish the players would. Uh, he's joining from a is it a motorway service station or a McDonald's drive-through car park? Where are you tonight? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm in Durham Services at the moment. I've just managed to get out of Newcastle. Yeah, I've, it's been a long ride, uh, which will be out out tomorrow, and it's not been a been a great day. And I've I've spent like two days on my own, so I, I kind of want to come in come into this chat for a bit. Of get some bits really, of your to talk, <laughs> Yeah, to talk to someone. <laughs> Tell us about the services. Are we talking KFC or is it McDonald's? What have we got? It's McDonald's today. Um, it's, you've got your typical WH Smith, Costa. There's a you know, there's a travel lodge as well. It's okay. It, it would. Do. I think we should do a spin-off podcast. Service stations of the UK. <laughs> um, Steve, we're just talking about the uh, the Bournemouth game first from Thursday. Steve, you were there. Was that one of the worst games, worst performances you've seen at St Mary's? And bearing in mind there have been a few. I mean, there's yeah. I mean, there, there's been there's been a lot. Um, especially this season. I mean, I've I've missed a fair few this season because I've been out of the country, but. Yeah, I mean, even just in the short period I've been back and the first half of the seat, first bit of the season, really, it's been, yeah, I mean, that was, that's right down there, I would say. I mean, there were games earlier in the season where, I mean, I've, I've 
brought it up a few times where the Newcastle game where we got humped 4-1 and actually that that scoreline doesn't begin to tell the tell the tale of the game really um in that we missed some absolutely ridiculous chances and Newcastle basically had four shots on target and pinged them all in the corner mm. but Bournemouth Bournemouth game wasn't a smash and grab they were I mean other than the first 15 as as Glenn said they were comfortable really the thing that I noticed most about about Thursday night's game was the pace at which the two teams played. Everything Bournemouth did was zipped and it was quick and it was done with a purpose. And very rarely did a player need to take a touch. They were laying it off immediately or flicking it around the corner. And it was, it was a group of players that um, surprisingly, given what everybody's impression of Gary O'Neill had been, um, they look a team surprisingly well coached um, and well drilled. And, they knew they knew what their roles were. They they knew that eventually we would we would give them give them opportunities, and we certainly did that. I think we looked all right in the first ten to fifteen minutes, and once Bournemouth had one or two little breakaways where they threatened us and um, looked like that would be their their obvious avenue to to cause us trouble. That kind of spooked us, and all of a sudden we were a lot more passive, and um, obviously a lot. It was a lot more um, frustrating. But in terms of the pace, we were really sluggish for the most part. It was only probably the first five minutes, really, when Walcott had that. Uh, for once, somebody actually played the pass into him early. I think it was El Yanusi. Finally, actually played the pass at the right time. Walcott made made a great run, cut inside. And unfortunately, on his left foot, he's um, he's not put the put the right power on it. And you thought, OK, well, two, three minutes in, that's a good start. That's, that's looking good. And other than... Armstrong's one, which I didn't actually realise until I saw the saw the highlights, um, actually hit the post rather than um, rather than the keeper making the save. And other than that, until that sort of last 15, 20 minutes where where Trey Adams came on and all of a sudden we looked like a vaguely functioning football team, there there wasn't just wasn't anything for for anybody to get excited about. And then obviously you got the 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 weather factor as well. It was a properly miserable night, all mm. pretty much from start to finish. Which never helps, I don't. I don't think when you're when you're playing badly. I think if you're playing well, those nights you can kind of get an atmosphere going, and it's and it can be um, quite a sort of raucous atmosphere. But when things are going against you, that sort of those sort of weather conditions are dreadful um, for everybody involved. And I think that probably contributed to the um, to the sort of drab atmosphere off the pitch as well as as well as the um, sluggish nature on it. Um, yeah, very annoying. Yeah, we've seen too many of those games recently. I'm just waiting for Jacob to finish his wrap of the day. Um, <laughs> the hope was that we could follow up that Arsenal display, but really it, it couldn't have been any different. It was just so disappointing on Thursday. Yeah, it's not a surprise though, is it? You, even you saw in the first half today as well, you just think this team, it's a, it's a mental block. They're, they're subbing in that they can't play at home. I think that's now established. Because you know, even if they start well after ten to fifteen minutes, as soon as there's a lull, I think we've all got a part to play in it. The, you know, there's a there's a bit of groaning, booing, the silence in the crowd. But then the players as well don't do anything to get the the fans back on side. I just think there's a real issue at home, and I think next year in the championship there has to be this transformation it, from losing all the time to suddenly finding this habit of winning. Uh, and I think it will take a long time to be honest. With you. I don't think it's going to be smooth, even if they do go down division. Uh, if <laughs> <laughs> still hopeful, not mathematically uh, done yet. But um, what I didn't like about the Bournemouth game was uh, we. I've watched a lot of Bournemouth this season. Sellers was there on Sunday watching the West Ham game, 
they didn't put any balls into the box or crosses. Those sure first two corners. Like oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely bizarre. And then also, it's a slippery surface. Dominic Solanke runs the channels every day, all day. He he does it perpetually. They always transition out wide. They, they create spaces out wide. And Slanter stayed in this narrow structure without really pressing and just allowing Bournemouth to put these balls into the channels where, be- well, not better culture, where Benrick and Saleta Sar were just exposed all the time. And even if they did well, they were comp- continuing to continually getting that threat against Solanke. And I just think, you've seen Bournemouth, you know how they're going to play. And it's either a failure of the manager or a failure of the players to heed these tactical instructions because something's not working. And yeah, Bournemouth fully deserved it. They're far more much more unity amongst the fans and the players. They're just a more cohesive team. And Gary O'Neill, I don't think there's much difference between Ruben Sellers and Gary O'Neill. Apart from Gary O'Neill knows how to get the best out of his players. And we saw that on, on Thursday night and it should have been much more than 1-0. Glenn, was the tone set by the team selection? I mean, we talked about play stoppers last week. They were out in force again on, on Thursday night, weren't they? You know, there was comparisons <laughs> to that. Um, people were comparing it to that Swansea away game when Gabbiadini scored and we kept the hopes alive. It, it was a million miles away from that, right from the minute the team was announced. Play stoppers, do me a favour. Is, is that what we call them now? I call him that one. I call well, that Well, yeah. don't, because it... <laughs> Play stoppers. Is that is that something we've come up with now to players that are crap and are no use when they when they've actually got the ball? I mean, do me a favour. Was it set by the um, was the tone set by the team selection? Um, yeah, I believe so. I mean, like I said, I, I don't I don't think he really knows what he's doing. So he's it's very similar to Ralph did this a couple of times where we have games that are a completely different assignment. As I said, Arsenal away, Bournemouth at home, completely different. And because we did relatively okay against Arsenal, he's, he's picked as close to the same team as he can. What gets what gets me is another thing that got me was the um, you know she got McCarthy in goal. You can't play the same way with McCarthy in goal as you can with Bazunu in possession because he's got lead legs. Let's face it, he can't he can't play with his feet at all. It's horrible to watch. It's like a tap dancing rhino. It's awful, and. Um, you know, Bazunu can kick the ball well and he can he can play with his feet. But I mean some of some of our passing moves across our own six yard box were just were just legendary on Thursday, wasn't it? It was like three panic passes and then McCarthy clubs mm-hmm. it out of play on the halfway line. So there didn't seem to be any cohesion, any idea of how to deal with that. In the same way that when Tor Paul plays, we got we obviously don't practice how to get the most out of him either. So yeah, I, I think I think it was set. I mean, you know, who's gonna be the goal threat? in that starting lineup. Basically, your two furthest most forward players are Walcott and Adam Armstrong. Good in training, granted, but, you know, three goals in 70 games. And and Walcott, he's, you know, he's been better than most people have expected the, the last um, the last sort of seven, eight games. But it's still a bit hit and miss. And it's, it's, it's hardly a, you know, a striker who's going to strike fear into the... Uh, opposition so yeah I, th- I think the time was set from the start and it was um you know I it, it always feels like we're so scared you know we're so scared and as the game went on I mean Jacob touched on it the sort of like booing of players but if if a defender or a midfielder has got the ball and there's a there's a ball forward and they turn it down in favor of going sideways and backwards then you think okay fair enough you can have a go at them for that most of the time, there's absolutely no one moving. No one wants the ball. If Chiletazar, for example, has got the ball, Lavia wants it. Warprouse doesn't really. Um, so he's got a choice of, you know, Lavia with two players up his backside or 
he can go left to Perot, right to Bednarek or back to the goalkeeper and or, or club it up the pitch. That's that's it. There's no progression through the thirds, you know, whatsoever. And after after the first 15 minutes, Bournemouth kind of worked out how to play against us and and everything that we'd, if we'd been planning anything, then Bournemouth had sussed it out after 15 minutes and, and that was the end of that. So, so uh, yeah, long answer to a short question. I believe it was it was set by the um, by the team selection, and yeah, there was a it was a very brief sort of ten fifteen minutes where it, it looked okay, but after that, nothing. And Jacob, were you surprised to see Alex McCarthy come in? I know we talked about him coming in before. He should have come in. Was it Boxing Day? I think then he got the injury, so it didn't happen. Glenn mentioned it was probably ten games too late. The change should have been made. Did you write the piece this week about his his wages dropping if he doesn't? It was almost like it was a reminder. If he doesn't play enough games, he gets his wages dropped. Then the next thing, he's in the team and, he, and he's starting. But that can't have been the manager's decision on his own because there's a professional goalkeeping coach that's working with them every day. And and surely Andrew Sparks must have a say in in who starts. So you, you think they share that decision, but it just seemed really bizarre to bring him in for that game. Yeah, Andrew Sparks had a decision in, in pre-season because the plan was actually for Alex McCarthy to be the number one uh, bazoon to gradually step in and evolve. But because... Uh, Andrew Sparks was a huge fan of Cameron Bazunu. He was really influential in the recruitment of him uh, because he imp- impressed the preseason. I remember that save in that first preseason game in Austria. Um, he came straight into the lineup, and I think it was quite jarring because you think Alex McCarthy, second highest earning at the club, signed a contract in 2021, has this clause in his contract where if he doesn't play a certain amount of games, um, it means his his money goes down. Which I think, if you want to be skeptical about it, you probably say, okay, that's the reason why he's not coming sooner I don't know what the amount of games so maybe they've passed that threshold now so even if he plays from now to the end of the season he still can't get that get that target um, but I thought it was a little bit strange because there's been really good moments to get McCarthy in before this and considering you know people like to criticise McCarthy but he was player of the season in that Gabby Adini season he knows he's one of the few along with Wolf Prowse that knows what it takes to go through one of these and experience winning these type of games. Uh, so I thought he'd come in sooner. And I know Gavin Bazunu had a few issues at Arsenal, but it wasn't his worst performance this season. I think there are other, there are other cases to, to drop him then. And I, and I thought, so now got to this point where they've stuck with Bazunu, you might as well just keep, keep with him, not dent his confidence by taking that starting lineup. But you'll go into pre-season next year. Because he'll, he'll, I imagine he will stay Bazunu next year. And he'll probably be doubting himself over the summer. Where if he just carried on the whole season, I think that would be done really well. And even in the case of relegation, he would have learned a lot from it. But because he's on the bench, he's having to sit, he's having to play a second second string role in it almost. I think it's kind of, it feels a little bit off. Um, but I think McCarthy, I think he was quite good today, actually. I thought he made a few good saves. Quite good, came out, came out, quite well a punch a few away it's just yeah I think there was, there was a perfect timer for it and it probably wasn't April with seven games to go is it just another example Steve of really poor man management uh yeah basically obviously Nathan Jones's hand was forced in that McCarthy got that injury presumably on Christmas day training if he was due to play on boxing day and he wasn't then available properly I'm not even sure he was even on was he even on the bench sort of towards the end of Jones's Jones's time he might he might have just just about come back at that point but I assume Jones probably had other things on his mind so um the goalkeeper thing was probably probably not not highest priority which is which is kind of fine really I I don't what probably one of the few things I don't blame Nathan Jones for actually um <laughs> and yes but then obviously Sellers comes in and Sellers has been here since the summer so he's seen he's seen Bazudu in training. He's seen him in games, and obviously 
in conversation with with Andrew Sparks, that would have been that would have surely been a something that that had been spoken about in detail. They'd, they'd have gone through probably all areas of the team to to kind of work out what they thought was the um, was the best option for us. You'd hope, yeah. Stuck stuck with stuck with Bazunu initially. Okay, fine. You've made you made your decision. Let's 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 go with it. And yeah, he's just randomly picked this game to, to decide. Nope, we're gonna we're gonna make this change. And um, yeah, we've probably killed the uh, self confidence of of Bazunu, who'd. I mean, you, like you see comments. I think he'd, he'd done an interview with. I think it was in the Echo, maybe a couple of weeks ago, where he said that. Yeah, look, I know I've made mistakes. I'm I'm young and I'm I'm learning and I'm trying and I'm trying to improve every game. And that's that's kind of the attitude you you expect from a from a young player kind of thrown into the um into the deep end like that i think yeah taking him out at this point is probably probably going to do more harm than good i would imagine another young keeper that potentially we're going to end up ruining his confidence so um let's put the bournemouth game to bed there was another match at the weekend a decent first half against newcastle but they really are different class and getting a result there was always going to be a big ask so 3-1 the final score um glenn let's start with you on this one your thoughts on the game was it the lack of attacking intent that was the most frustrating thing because it, it went all right for the first 45 minutes but you just know that we're not going to be able to hang on no i mean every game this season since sellers has been in charge where we've been ahead he's got one tactic which is defend the hell out of it which is to do away with attacking intent and just try and see out the game. That That's all he's got. Um, and it worked against Chelsea and it worked against Leicester before we worked out quite how terrible those teams are, certainly in Chelsea's case. Mm. But what, what gets me about today's performance is that he, he tried the same thing last week against Arsenal. It's only seven days ago. Just tried to defend the hell out of it for the whole of the second half. And, and that appeared to be what we did today. I mean, Newcastle were very good second half, but I, there was one stat... On the, there's one stat I saw that Newcastle, it was on about 85 minutes. Newcastle had had 30 touches in our box and we'd had none. Oh, God. And we, we'd had a corner as well. It's just, just got edited out. <laughs> so we didn't, we, we didn't get a touch when we had a corner. So, um, so that kind of shows where we were. And um, first half, I thought we were excellent, to be honest. When I saw the 11 players, you know, it's the usual thing. You can't work out exactly where anyone's playing. Are we playing five at the back? Is Gineppo left wing back? What's going on there? It was basically the the 4-2-2-2 or 4-2-3-1, depending on where your class, Alcaraz's positioning. And, you know, I thought we had we had all the all the on-target shots in the first half. Um, for all the, um, the hype about Newcastle, they didn't get anything on target. And, and we, we, you know, we scored the goal and... Uh, yeah, it was decent. First half was excellent. But half time, I just found myself thinking we've got to survive 45 minutes of Newcastle pressure plus Ruben Sellers making five substitutions. We've got to survive all that to get to the end and um, and win the game. And, you know, both, both came true. Newcastle just attacked incessantly. We eventually let in the one goal, and then um, then Mr. Substitution took over, and it and it just it just killed it stone dead. And I'm um, I'm struggling to think of as you know as a triple substitution. And I think after he'd done that, the ball was in our net three times in five minutes or something like uh, that. Yeah, three goals in the space of four minutes. Although yeah. one of them ruled out for offside. One but, was off. Yeah. One was offside. But we we just went to bits. 
and um, there's a, a Benji from the uh, from the Echo published this lovely um, touch map of <laughs> of, <laughs> of um, my mate Adam Armstrong, who basically didn't touch the ball again. Like with Arsenal last week, I made this point last week. It's uh, you know quite a high quality team that you're playing against, and players like him, Elianusi, they're not even good enough to get a touch of the ball, let alone do anything to to affect. And it, it's just it's just levels. You know, we've talked about this during the season. It's just levels, and that you know, we we're a strange team. We've got six or seven players who are who are decent, and we'll see that next year when they end up at other Premier League clubs, probably. But and we we've got so so many players in our squad who are so substandard they drag the whole thing down. And when you when you've got a manager who doesn't even seem to have one plan that's serviceable, let alone a plan A, a plan B, plan C, whatever. Um, it, it it just all combined. So the the second half was was entirely predictable. And um, I mean, New, Newcastle, a team of their level, it improves when you take Anthony Gordon off, whoever you bring on, because he's he's not quite there yet. And I'm being slightly facetious there because he costs sixty million quid or whatever. But they you know they bought on Callum Wilson, moved these out. They were targeting Lianco, weren't they? Um, and that they right were. Side, he was. Obviously looked at the lineup and went, well, hang on a minute, he's playing at right back, so that's well, where it's going to be. He was supposed to be playing at right back, but he was kind of playing right centre back. I don't know if it was a it was a plan or whether he was just drifting in field, but he was he wasn't getting out wide quick enough to confront whoever had the ball on the left wing, and that's where the first goal came from. But I I thought, you know, after a ropey start, I thought he actually did okay. I'd rather have him there than Maitland Niles, to be honest. And then they brought Maitland Niles on and he gave a goal away anyway. So it was um, <laughs> six and two threes, really. So, uh, yeah, they did they did seem to be targeting that right wing. But that, Isaac is a, he's a good player. He's, and he's, he's unpredictable and he, he will cause lots of people problems, let alone, let alone Lianco. But I don't think he was the, uh, he was the biggest problem today. But, um, but, but there you go. Predictable. You know, we lost, we lost three, one <laughs> taken in isolation. That's, uh, that's not too bad, but it's, you know, it's obviously not what we needed given the situation that we're in. Yeah. Which we, we shouldn't be in a situation where we're relying on, on getting a win there. Um, Jacob, decent first half, but just massively outclassed in the second half. Yeah. I wasn't too taken away with that first half to be honest with you because the atmosphere at St James's was flat I thought Newcastle was pretty poor really and it just felt like everything was very passive I thought Slanton were okay but there was opportunities there for Newcastle you know and if they were on form then I could, could see them get a few in that first half so I didn't think Slanton were great but they did what they had to do they managed to break uh, with bodies for the first time and they managed to score I thought Suleiman's pace was quite good Alcaraz causes Ruben Sellers nightmares because he never tracks back and it's quite interesting I was only about 10 yards up from Sellers and throughout him and Alcaraz were just having this conversation in Spanish about Alcaraz wasn't sure who he was marking from throw-ins and it was back and forth constantly but then he gets the ball and he carries it and you think okay that's that's why Ruben Sellers keeps going with him because he seems to be angry with him all the time um, so I, there were certain parts but I never thought Slamson were were great and I don't think they really deserved to, to, to win that game then the second half happened and as soon as that as soon as the first goal happens, Sela uh, said it afterwards. Everything uh, is triggered. All the episodes of all the, the other painful yeah. second halves. Yeah, and then you look at the players; they're all staring up, up into towards the away fans, even just looking. And I thought, oh no, <laughs> here we go. It, it could, it's going to be damaging. And they have this huddle. But I don't know if anyone actually says anything in this huddle. <laughs> they, they, um, 
But yeah, I, I just look at more playoffs. I just feel really sorry for him. But I feel sorry for a lot of those players. And Lavia, I think he, he's one of the young lads. There's been obviously question marks over young players' attitudes. But from what I hear, Lavia is one of the few that actually asks questions to the experienced players. Is always there on time, shows good application. And I think you see that in those last 20 minutes, especially where he was really brave on the ball. And yeah, yeah. he was standing up, even if even if a lot of them weren't. I'd have to say Jan Benrick as well. He made up three really good blocks. He was brilliant today. He, he was superb today. Um, Steve, just on Lavia, I mean, an exceptional young footballer. His attitude, is, as Jacob said, has been absolutely spot on. You can see that he was really upset at the end and, and winning the ball back for that goal. Um, I mean, he he's the one shining light still, isn't he? he, he he's still giving it his all and, and it's a shame that it, it's not going to work out for him here. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest. We've got, um, we've got what, four games left with him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, make, make the most of that, I would say. Yeah, he's he's been... Excellent for the most part, despite his his young age, where you could you could forgive a bit of inconsistency, but um, certainly in I mean especially in the bigger games, he's the guy that stands out. Even in kind of what has what has largely been our better performances actually against against the bigger bigger sides, he's been the guy that's taken games by the scruff of the neck and and has has kind of stamped his authority and imposed himself, which for a guy of that of that age is um is extraordinary and he's going to be yeah i mean injury injury permitting he's going to be some player at at an absolute elite club whoever whoever wants him in the summer is presumably going to have to pay pretty um pretty big money because obviously we know that city have got this buyback clause that kicks in next summer hmm. so and he's got he's on a long contract so in theory we could dig our heels in and say well no if if clubs are coming in and offering us 20 or 30 We'll just say no. We'll keep. We'll we'll force him to stay for another year when City can then come in and and give us forty for him. Yeah, it it may it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the summer because you would imagine. I mean that that it, that holding midfield role is is probably the hardest to nail down in a team at elite level. And I mean you've seen how how United have completely flailed for basically a decade since Ferguson left because they've never had anybody who can play that position well. They've had a few people in who can kind of make do occasionally, but against against elite opposition, they then end up found wanting. Um, I think Lavier is the sort of player who could go into one of those top teams now and perform well. The only side he wouldn't get in at the moment, ironically, is City because they've got Rodri, but he's better than Calvin Phillips. And so he would he would be the f- kind of first first backup, but I think he deserves to be playing every week. Todd Bowley, what um, how many zeros are you going to put on that check for us <laughs> on his eight year contract? Um, Glenn, just a, a quick one on um, the the lineup. Tom Bowler, it was Stu Adams that that came in for the start this time. Return of Gineppo as well. Che Adams, I mean, surely he needs to be starting every game. I know he's coming back from injuries on the bench. He had half an hour against Bournemouth, and I think afterwards he said they have to manage his minutes and be careful, but. We're not talking about a player at the start of the season here, are we? What, what are we saving out of games? What are we saving him for? Be, yeah. be, be, be. Is, is there is there a big testimonial the week after yeah. the season? Be, be, be fit for the dead rubbers at Brighton and um, and home to Liverpool. Um, it's mad. You've got to be starting him, haven't you? Yeah, I mean he he is he is our best striker. He has been all season, um, most of last season as well. So if he's fit, he has to play. He should have started against Bournemouth. Even if he could only play first half, you know, there, there, there seems to be this. My memory goes, is this the first season with five substitutes? No, five five subs came in during COVID. So that, yeah. that project oh, was yeah, yeah, of course the first did, time. Yeah. So it, it, 
it seems to be now that all of our managers, well, certainly Ralph and Sellers, have, have seen, well, well, we'll win the game in the second half. You know, we're not we're not good enough just to try and win it in the second half. Let's just choose. Let's <laughs> let's go for it from the start. He should have started against Bournemouth. He should have started today. And as it turned out, we played all right in the first half today. But you know, relatively speaking. But uh, but yeah, it was it was a surprise for me considering that he'd played against um, you know come on as a sub against Bournemouth that he that he wasn't starting today. But yeah, I I, I couldn't work out as I said what what on earth the uh, the lineup was uh, going to be from the eleven players. I mean, you could argue Stuart Armstrong had a good twenty minutes against Bournemouth, so therefore he deserved to start against Newcastle, and he, and he did okay. I mean, Gineppo is. That's that's the wild card for today, wasn't it? I mean, he's 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 come in from nowhere. I keep waiting for him to play that position that we gave him a new contract for because he had a couple of good games there. He hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't played there since. He hasn't played. He hasn't played there since. So um, he'll be around next season as our third choice left back or whatever. But um, just on Shea, um, I th- he I got told on bef- before Thursday that he could only play fifteen minutes against Bournemouth, and he ended up playing half an hour or something. Mm. And I think they, I, I think they rushed him back anyway for the Bournemouth game. They didn't think he'd be fit till the start of May, so I think that's probably where the risk is. But yeah, if you, you probably have to risk him now. Yeah. Talk, talking um, of, um, you know, you were talking earlier on about McCarthy and his money situation. Whilst we all know that Tall Paul is not the greatest and probably not the answer, <laughs> is there anything in the fact that he's now played nine games? Is there any sort of financial contracty type thing that comes in when he plays ten? Because he's he's just disappeared from the squad. You know, I, I don't think no. so. I just he's, noticed yeah. he 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 he'd appeared in nine games, so I, I do wonder. It's just there's question marks about on actually fitness as well, and whether he can actually be effective for for more than five minutes in a game. And I think Sellers is probably looking at it, thinking he's probably not fit enough or physically capable of performing more than ten minutes at an end yeah. of the game. So there's no point really putting him on the bench. Which when you spend eighteen million pounds on the strikers, probably speaking more about the recruitment than, yeah. than, than another Sellers slow really. slow hand clap to Rasmus. There, we're going to need a couple of hours, aren't we? At the end of the season, when we do the things things that have gone wrong, it's you're going to have to strike a couple of hours out because we're going to be there all night. Yeah. This Let's point. put Joe Aribo on the bench instead. Well, thankfully, just four more games to suffer. The first of those is going to be Forest away, uh, which is on Monday night at eight o'clock. Uh, I think it's on the telly. This one, Steve, the reverse fixture back in January. For me, that was when the penny dropped and I knew that we'd be down because that was a horrible, horrible night. And Forest have been a bit hit and miss. Um, not brilliant away from home, obviously, but it's going to be uh, an interesting one. Um, yeah, I mean, Forest will absolutely be identifying this game as the one that they have to win. I mean, essentially for us, realistically, I think we all accept that we're done. But from a mathematical perspective, we need to win that to have any even slight outside chance. Um, of suddenly sort of pulling off a miracle, sort of Fulham-esque, if you like, from from that time under under Roy Hodgson, where they won their last four, I think, and stayed up on goal difference. And yeah, Forest. I mean, let's be honest, Forest are rubbish. They're so bad. <laughs> there's there's a lot to be made of our poor recruitment, but yes, at, at the start of the season they recruited a lot of players, didn't they? They and recruited everybody. Not worked. <laughs> I mean, everyone sort of said at the start, oh, they're doing a Fulham, which, yeah, I mean, basically they have. They've thrown a lot of money at a load of players, which some of them have, have looked all right. Most of them have come and gone. To be honest, half of them are injured, I think. So they've, they've not had an awful luck fitness-wise, but they're, they're, an, they're an odd team in that they've got two or three players, I think. So Gibbs White, uh, Awayimi, and strangely, Serge Aurier, who have actually stood out for them this season. And I mean, I don't think anybody who saw him at Spurs would ever have penned him as the guy for a relegation fight. Um, and yet he's been, by all accounts, he's been excellent. 
but they're they're a team that are kind of just on that downward slide and it's and can they arrest it their their home their home form's been been okay um obviously uh, beat brighton midweek last week to give themselves get themselves out of the bottom three at the time they'll basically be looking to replicate that um whether we'll be quite as obliging as i mean brighton were were clearly sort of reeling a little bit from their um fa cup semi-final defeat and took their eye off the ball a little bit um unfortunately for basically everybody else down the bottom bottom end of the table because i think before that game if if brighton win that game you you're just saying well forest are coming down with us but they've shown shown a little bit of life problem is we've got to go there now and play a way that's that's gonna that's gonna score goals and I mean, well, yeah, I mean, oh, there lies the yeah, problem. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I mean in, insert your own punchline here. It's yeah. it's just it's just a situation where and and obviously where all our good performances have come against the good teams, Forest are not a good team, and we and we know this, and therefore there is no expectation that we're going to turn up and and put in any sort of performance because we'll we'll treat it in the same way as we would a trip to um, Old Trafford or the Emirates, and we'll basically try and try and hit them on the break when actually that's not that's not the way that's not the way to break the these sort of teams down you put you put pressure on their back line and they'll crumble hmm. but that's not the way we've been playing all season unfortunately i mean glenn is it largely irrelevant what are you hoping to see on on monday night because oh. <laughs> i don't know i i, I pass karen to be honest you know yeah you got sellers has got to pick a team to go and win as steve said you know he won't you know, there's nothing to suggest that he'll do anything other than what he does in all of these 50-50 games. You know, it'll be the the, the players that you know are not going to do anything. Yeah. He, he'll have to go some to beat the performance of Nathan Jones's team when we lost 1-0 at home because that, that is in the conversation. You know, I've been watching Saints since the 70s. That's, that's in the conversation for the worst game, worst performance I've ever seen. I don't think we even put yeah. in a, a performances like that under Bramford, did we? No, no. <laughs> honestly, honestly, the, um, I'm not saying the Bramford era was any good by any stretch of the imagination. Cup, but cup m- final. Most of the games, we actually <laughs> looked like we were trying to win, even if it was incredibly basic. Um, you know, lump it up to Ian Dowie, whatever. But we, <laughs> we he scored a few goals, didn't he? We yeah. Had a yeah, yeah, most of them bounced in off his face. But um, <laughs> did we have six one nil wins in a row that season? Yep. Uh, the last, the last first division season. Yeah, God, we take that now, wouldn't we? We'd yeah. absolutely take that. But so. we're gonna, we're gonna better than all our one nil defeats against yeah, all the teams that's around what us. Was, anyway. That's what I was about to say. We're gonna, we're probably gonna get another one nil defeat, which is the most likely result from this game. I mean, Forest. I, I watched the game against Brighton, and yeah, as um, as the lad said, Brighton, Brighton were definitely having a bit of a hangover in that second half, and they didn't, they didn't really lay a glove on Forest, and uh, Brighton of course got back on it this weekend and, and won 6-0 so uh, um, Forest definitely caught them at the right time. Uh, Brennan Johnson is is a, is another player Steve didn't mention who always seems to um, seems to be one of their sort of players at the forefront and they've got a new lad in midfield called Danilo who's scored in the last couple of games so I guess we'll have to watch him. Be interesting to see if we um, if we actually track him when he breaks off the back of our midfield, because uh, we've not been terribly good at that in recent games, so it's it's another one we have we have to go there and try and win, but will we? Probably not. I've I've accepted our fate a long time ago. I mean, the, the Forest game at St Mary's wasn't the time. I don't think I really accepted we were relegated. I think that was about three games into the Nathan Jones era. That was the 
that was the game where I realised <laughs> Nathan Jones is appalling and we have to get rid of him as soon as possible. But then we um... and recruit some decent players in January. That yeah. was I remember that was the well at least the transfer window's open and yeah. at least we've got a bit of money and we're going to bring in some players that will score some goals and turn all this round and we'll be okay. Forsic came in the next day, didn't he? And uh, yeah. what a, what a rip roaring success that's been. <laughs> instead of instead of that, what we did was um, we denied Man City the quadruple and kept him in a job for another eight or nine <laughs> games and uh, yeah and that's. Um, one of the main, one of the one of the reasons out of many why we are going down to the championship next year. Where we are, so, yeah. If you're, yeah. Um... So as you can tell, really looking forward to Monday's game. Uh, can't can't <laughs> wait for it, and um, yeah, can't wait to talk about it on the. Uh, two weeks today the following night yeah uh, if you're watching live by the way put your score predictions for this one um, in the comments because we'd like to see those um, Jacob I think lose this and it's out of our hands isn't it um, I think would it be nine points adrift with three games to go it, it's going to be really difficult to get well it shouldn't be difficult for the players to get motivated for this but equally we've been watching this team for long enough now we know what's going to happen yeah, stick a fork in Southampton, they'll probably be done by then. I, I was what I spent a week actually listening to a TED talk by Rasmus Ankerson from five years ago God. in Manchester and he, <laughs> he he did a Was was that the was that the one did. where he where he uttered the famous line of if it ain't broke, consider breaking it? Not quite. He said the table always lies. He said that's cliche that the table never lies is is wrong. Um no, so if you wanna go if you wanna go along with Rasmus Ankerson's um viewpoint, then there's nothing to worry about. Um I think it's it's gonna be yeah, I think the Forest game is one of those where I think Forest will be really up for it. They're going to see this as a great opportunity. It's on, it's on, a, it's on an evening kickoff. It's going to be an intense atmosphere. I don't know if these players have got anything left in the tank, really. You can have all the systems you yeah. want. Sellers could have the perfect game plan from a managerial point of view. I don't know if the players have got... <laughs> <laughs> they could. could. But even the thing about Sellers is that I think some of his stuff is uh, I can understand, but some of it he's made mistakes. But it's been shown it's been shown really bad and in a terrible light because of the players because they've got nothing left. They don't really listen to him, and maybe that's his fault. But I think the players are, are mentally cooked, and I can see if Forest get an early goal or if they get on top, then I just worry that Samson are just going to completely just disintegrate, and it, it could be quite bad. But I'm hoping Samson go there, put in a good performance, and. Yeah, look towards next season, really. Well, as you can imagine, lots of really positive uh, score predictions <laughs> in, in the comments. Um, Steve, I'm going to come to you first for a score prediction. Um, what do you reckon? Well, we're playing we're playing a game against a team uh, directly around us, so obviously we're going to lose 1-0. We're all going to say we're going to lose 1-0. One... <laughs> uh, Glenn? Yeah, 1-0 Forest. 1-0 uh, Forest. And uh, Mr Optimism, uh, Jacob? I was going to say 1-0 Forest, but I'll go 2-0 Forest. I'll hit Southampton on the counter in the last five minutes. What, we'll, we'll, we'll be attacking late in the game? A <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple of other bits to get onto just before we finish. There was, uh, you were chatting about Rasmus Ankerson and his TED talk there, Jacob. There was a question from Ellie about his reputation at Brentford um, because the impression is it's it's hard to tell what he was responsible for, what he wasn't responsible for. I know there was a lot of stuff circulating on social media from his, I think when he started or a couple of years ago that, that things didn't necessarily get off to a, a flying start at Brentford and the, the fans have been a little bit critical. So do you know any more about like what his role was there and, and, and what we can expect yeah he, he worked really closely with, with the chairman and he's still well like there he was at the that 3-0 Brentford game a couple of months ago he's still got a lot of friends there and I think he's thought of really highly there uh, but what's different here uh, compared to Brentford it's something that you might find concerning is that he worked alongside Phil Giles who uh, director of football who was seen as the guy that was 
keep him level-headed. He would check and challenge Rasmus Ankerson's ideas. Ankerson would have a lot of punchy ideas, but Giles was one that worked with him, would veto some, would accept or approve the others. And therefore, it had quite a good relationship because you had Ankerson's good ideas and they were actually being used. And the ones that weren't so good, that could spell disaster, Giles would just quickly... Uh, brush under the carpet and I think it's telling since Ankerson's gone they've not appointed they've not replaced him they just kept with Giles so I think that could have something in there at Salanton <laughs> he's near he hasn't got anyone really to check or challenge him like Henrik Kraft is you know very uh, educated very clever man and in, in the commercial side but in terms of the football side he hasn't got anyone so I think if you're looking forward you're probably hoping that Jason Wilcox and whoever the new head of recruitment is it will have a big enough say and have broad enough shoulders to uh, to sometimes say Okay, Rasmus, it's a good idea. Oh, I like the idea, but let's not use it. Um, but because as you've seen this year, a lot of it has been whims, or from the outside, it looks like it's looked like whims. And yeah, in for example, in, when Joe Shields left October, he, uh, Rasmus Ankerson told all the agents that he'd be in charge of the January recruitment. And I think from that then on in, you probably got a little bit concerned, thinking, okay, who is he going to recruit? And yeah, you've kind of seen it. But just to answer the question, yeah, he's very well thought of at Brentford, but at times he needs to be reined in. And it's a little bit difficult at the moment to keep up with um, who's left or who's leaving in terms of directors, staff, coaches. Did I miss anybody this week? There was Toby Steele last week that's resigned. Obviously, was it Matt Hale? Matt Hale was the one this week, wasn't it? That, was that the academy yeah. director, academy coach? Yeah, academy director. He, he's gone. Um, the assistant academy director left at the start of the season, Ed Vahid. But she, he's been replaced by Natasha Patel, who perhaps might step into the to the role um, I'm, I'm not quite sure but yeah another one leaving from the academy within the infrastructure um, so there'll be a lot of change and it's a big summer for some to make all these decisions but first and foremost you've actually got to get the people in place it's the right make, person make making the decisions yeah. that's, uh, that's going to be yeah. the, the thing and that's going to keep us awake at night and they've got to let them do their job you know I mean yeah, next not to be the, micromanaged from above next to the pit you know if you just talk about what's going on on the pitch with the first team you've got to let Jason Wilcox do his job and you've got to appoint a competent manager and let him do his job along with Jason Wilcox. And that that has obviously got to be, you know, input into recruitment and the the star the team plays and all and all this sort of stuff. I mean, Mr. Big Brain has proved that it's, you know, his ideas aren't always the best. If you just look at that transfer window, which I'm sure we will at, at some point, you know, we signed two players for Nathan Jones, if you like, Onoachu and Bree. We signed two players, Suleimana and um, and Orsic, who didn't fit into Nathan Jones' style of play. Then we fired Nathan Jones, and none, you know, virtually none of those January players have had any have had any sort of impact under under the new manager. So, yeah, Rasmus hasn't done great in his um, in his stuff that um, we've all seen, and all these people who have left, they can't all be wrong. Can they? I'd love to be in the WhatsApp group for the ex-Saints directors and um, <laughs> work out what they're saying about Mr. Big Brain. Um, you know, we'll see what um, we'll see what happens. But as Jacob said, there's going to be a, it's a, it's a massive summer, and they got they got so much to do to start turning the um, turning the ship around because at the moment it's it's just heading completely the wrong direction, isn't it? it need, if it hasn't started, it needs to start now, doesn't it? Because they've got a lot of work on, a lot yeah. of work on. Unless they start getting things right, we're just going to. You know, we're just going to carry on and be rubbish next year as well. Uh, Steve, let's finish on a positive. The the B team, Premier League two champions by default, I think, because Leeds collapsed in their final Leeds, game. It was yeah, Leeds. We weren't Leeds expecting that, were we? We were expecting playoffs. Yeah, Leeds were Leeds were expected to beat West Brom in their final game. We thought it'd be reasonably tight, but but Leeds have been kind of top pretty much the whole season, really. And yeah, they threw it away. Uh, lost two one. 
um, to West Brom, which means that um, apparently Leeds missed pretty much an open goal in the last minute as well um, to kind of seal it for us. And, and uh, yeah, we took the title on, on goal difference by a single goal, I think. <laughs> we'll take that. That's good. We'll finish with that. Jacob, have you got an apple pie to follow up your uh, wrap of the day? Or are you just waiting? Those take about an hour to cool down, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) I might go back in, actually, because I think I've got another hour and a half till I get to the hotel. I might get an apple pie, but... Yeah, we'll it was good to see it. you catch up with Will Smallbone as well on, uh, was it Saturday? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've tried to, I've, I thought hard about what is positive about Southampton this season. And then I'm trying to the find players out on loan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the players not actually at the club. The Stoke, Stoke, a bit, Stoke have been rubbish as well. They've managed to lose more, more home games than we have. I actually watched a game yesterday against QPR and, oh my God, if I wanted some entertainment, I wouldn't <laughs> go back there. It was it was atrocious. But yeah, I, I sat down with Will in, in, in one of the offices for a, a good good, a good few a good while and a really good guy. And um, he spoke really well about his confidence issues, playing at Stoke, why he wanted to go and loan himself. It wasn't the club's decision. And uh, next year as well with um, perhaps coming back to Southampton. So yeah, that'll be up Tuesday. And it was refreshing actually just to get away and see something positive. I bet he can't wait to come back. <laughs> What sort of what sort of position does he play on the pitch at Stoke? Because we never really identified uh, where he should be playing yeah. for us. I asked I asked him about that, and he'd be out in the piece. But in terms of uh, the system under Ralph, he didn't really no. suit him because he always thought he was one of those number sixes. But Ralph obviously is only young; didn't have to, he didn't trust him enough to play alongside Wal Prowse. Well, at Stoke, he plays in a midfield three, and he's the, to the right of it. He's quite attack minded, breaks in behind. And sometimes he could play in that number ten role. I think he's probably he's probably similar to Jude Bellingham in terms of he's very athletic, wants to run in behind. He's not going to get the ball to feet much, and he, he gets in the box a lot, similar to Alcaraz as well, almost. So uh, he said that he's basically found out the type of player he is through playing as consistently this season, and he wasn't sure what he was, and his confidence was was down because of it. But yeah, hopefully it served him well, and yeah, hopefully um, we'll see him back next year. All right, I look forward to reading that. Uh, on that note, that's pretty much it for this week's episode. Don't forget you can follow Total Saints Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. It's at Total Saints Pod. The website is totalsaints.co.uk. There's a link to the online shop and you can drop us an email during the week if you like. We've had loads this week, as you might imagine, people uh, questioning uh, where it went wrong this season. So we're going to save all those up and we will address those, I promise, um, before we finish for the summer. Uh, we're also on Patreon and that's where you can support the podcast with a monthly contribution. It's Patreon. Uh, dot com forward slash total saints podcast there's four different tiers on there ranging from five pounds to 20 pounds per month and each of the tiers comes with its own perks including some weekly shout outs to the patrons in our francis banali and our mick shannon tier so thanks as always to dave melton mark atkins matt hall andy hollis and andy thompson in the francis banali tier and thanks also to colt baker dave ernsberger ed busy nick higston phil cook matt rose and nick reed in the mick shannon tier thank you steve thank you glenn thanks to jacob for joining us from the service station uh, Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you again next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.